0: This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards.
1: Welcome back to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm Cam Edwards. and It is good to be with you. Hope that you've been having a really good week. It is, uh, again, the busy time of year on the farm. Uh, We, unfortunately... You know, it's funny. It's the busy time of year on the farm. It's it's one of those times of year where really every spare minute uh, should be spent doing stuff to get ready, right? I mean, we've got more garden beds that we have to dig. Uh, we still have to finish the greenhouse. <laughs> but it's one of those uh, facts of life that the the more stuff you have to do, inevitably, the less time you have to do it, right? So the weekends are our a big opportunity to get out and uh, work on the farm. Uh, this past weekend was also the uh, 10th birthday for our youngest kids, our twins turned 10. Uh and that's a big deal, you know. That's a that's a big year. So it was a uh it was a weekend where we spent a lot of time with the kids and and we went bowling. Uh we just did a lot of kid activities. We didn't have a chance to do a lot of farm activities. So as a result, uh, it's been mornings, it's been evenings where we're uh, working in the farm. Uh, My wife, Miss E, bought us uh, nine apple trees this week from a a local farmer actually just down the road. And some of these varieties, the cool thing about apples, apples are like tomatoes in a way. Uh, There are hundreds of varieties of heirloom tomatoes. So if you're interested in history and you want to eat your history, it's a really cool way to sort of explore uh, you know, various regions of the country, uh, various time periods in history. Apples are the same way. I had no idea that there were so many. I mean, I knew that there were, you know, Gala and Golden Delicious and Fiji. I mean, I knew that there were varieties. I didn't realize how diverse the uh, selection of apples Really, truly are so. We have a a couple of trees, I, I guess, that are local varieties uh, uh, that uh, we're growing. Uh, nine in all. Wish us luck. We have not had a great deal of luck in actually transplanting uh, trees or bushes on the farm. Last year, we decided we were going to. When we moved to the farm, actually, uh, we we moved in the in the fall. We where we found the place. We found our, our, our house in the fall uh we moved in in the depths of winter and so when spring arrived that first year it was <laughs> it really truly felt like it was magical uh because we didn't know what we were getting and so all of a sudden we realized holy moly these these long canes that are growing everywhere in the woods those are blackberry canes oh how cool is that uh, or raspberry canes. Uh, we uh, we discovered these bushes that were off by the uh, uh, the the fence into the pasture were actually blueberry bushes. They weren't just ornamental at all. All of a sudden, there were blueberries to eat, uh, hundreds of them, and it would pick every day uh, as the uh, uh, summer progressed. So it was this really neat experience. And so last year we decided, all right, we have six blueberry bushes. We want more. We want more blueberries uh and it takes a while you know for the uh for the bushes to get to full size so we bought six more uh blueberry plants that we planted into the ground mulched everything one of them i think made it uh over the uh, the next it, one of them is still alive now um and it wasn't that they they didn't survive the transplant it wasn't that they turned brown and withered up we kept running over them with a lawnmower, and I say we—I think we all took a turn actually at uh, taking out uh, one of our blueberry bushes. Uh, and then there was, I think, an unfortunate incident uh, with a loose goat eating uh, all of the uh, buds and the leaves off of one of the blueberry bushes. It was just—it was—it was a disaster. So we have one of the blueberry bushes out of the six that we planted last year. We planted nine apple trees. Hopefully, what does that mean? Does that give us like two, maybe, maybe two of these trees? I'm going for all nine. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, and we are certainly going to be paying attention to uh, to the new trees, along with the new baby goats, uh, who are doing well, by the way. And if you if you need a jolt of just adorable farm baby cuteness, uh, you can head over to the Instagram page. It's at Cam Edwards, and you can uh, check out all of the cute baby goat pictures. Seven. Seven baby goats we have on the farm right now, but the really good news is that I think we have found new homes uh, for five of the seven, and we're keeping the other two. We had already decided that we we're going to keep uh, a couple of the uh, the kids, so we're keeping a, a buckling and we're keeping a doling, and then I think we are actually selling as dairy goats uh, and as uh, bucks. Uh, the other five kids, so we have to wait until they're weaned. So it's going to be a few weeks. We uh, we were going to bottle feed the the kids um, because it really we we've got to get uh, our our adult moms, uh, Franny and Fiona, back to milking, uh, and and relatively soon, but. Bottle feeding seven baby goats, even if you bring all of the kids outside and they help you, the children I should say, uh, and they help you with this, this is still a, a time-consuming process uh, multiple times a day. Thankfully, we don't have to uh, reinvent the wheel or, or uh, the lamb bar as it's called because there actually is a, a device that uh, you can use. Uh, you put the milk in. There are all of their, their, their multiple nipples there at the uh, bottom. And the uh, baby goats can all get fed all at once without having to bottle feed all seven. So that's what we're planning on doing. Right now they're still with their moms, but uh, over the next couple of days we'll be uh, moving them to their own place where they can frolic and hop and bounce around. I I had no idea baby goats don't really walk as much as they do just bounce like tiggers. uh, I'm trying to get some some good video that I'll post on the Instagram feed as well because it is... It's even more adorable. But the goats are well. The chickens are well. The pigs are well. The bacon seeds are doing great, actually. We moved them to fresh pasture uh, over the weekend. That was one of the projects that we were able to get done. So they have all kinds of fresh grass to uh, to enjoy now, and they've got uh, some some big cypress trees in with them and lots of room to run around. We, we use 400 feet of hog fence, electric fence, and it's portable electric fence, uh, for the six hogs that we have. And, again, they've, they've got l- so much space to run around, and it's actually great to watch the uh, – you don't think about pigs really you know, running around. You think about farm pigs just sort of sitting there in a pen somewhere. So it's really cool to uh, to see all of the bacon seeds running around, uh, probably, th- I'm thinking three more weeks. It would be nice if we could have uh, butchered uh, the first hog to go back in the winter before it got warmer, but that didn't happen. So I'm thinking another three weeks or so for our first uh, bacon seed to be sent off to freezer camp. Those are the those are the euphemisms that we use. I have to uh, thank our friend Valerie for introducing those terms. Uh, but, yeah, we will be uh, butchering one of our hogs here in the next few weeks. So we're, we're getting ready for that. We're still actually, I have to say, and you may be witness to a, uh, to a, a, a vehement discussion between Miss E uh, and myself on whether or not we should butcher our own hog or whether or not we should continue to use the uh, processor that we've used for the past couple of years. She says, yes, we do it ourselves. I say we're not quite ready yet. I say I'd like to assist uh, with a couple. Miss E has been able to assist with one. I have not been able to assist with any. And, look, I'm a big believer in taking good care of your animals. And and one of the things that has always guided me since I've uh, moved from the suburbs to the farm is, you know i'm 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 curious and i know that i have a steep learning curve and i want to learn a lot but i also don't want to bite off more than i can chew because then you're not able to take good care of the animals uh and you know my motto when it comes to the bacon seeds is happy hogs make tasty bacon so when it comes time to uh, to harvest uh your hog when it comes time to to actually you know butcher your pig yeah i i I don't want to take the lead honestly uh without having done this before we don't have the block and tackle uh we don't necessarily at the moment have the cooling storage space uh once again the hog gets butchered It's, it's one thing to do that when it's 20 degrees outside it's another thing when it's 75 so it's complicated. I I think it's more complicated. I'm sure Miss E says I'm making it more complicated than it has to be. Uh, But that's where we are right now with the harvesting of the bacon seeds. Again, we may let this, uh, we may let this play out in front of a microphone. We, uh, we also may not. So coming up on the podcast this week, there's a story out of New York involving a small farmer that I want to talk about. And this is a cautionary tale for uh, folks who think, you know, listen, one day I'm going to have my own place and it's going to be awesome and nobody's going to be able to tell me what to do. I won't have an HOA and it'll be my own little kingdom. That's kind of what I thought. Uh, And it's not the case. It is truly not the case, uh, at least in many parts of this country. Uh, Owning a small farm comes with its own hazards, its own uh, uh, dangers, not just difficulties. You know, on NRA News Cam and Company, we talk about how one of the goals of the anti-gun movement is to make it difficult and dangerous, not to be an illegal gun owner, because it's already illegal, but to make it difficult and dangerous to be a legal gun owner because they don't like gun owners. They don't want gun owners. I think that we have the same sort of hostility uh, towards farmers, in uh, many parts of the country. We are a a very urban country these days. I was reading a uh, a quote from uh, someone from the Farm Bureau up there in New York State who who said uh, 1% to 2% of Americans have a connection to a, a, a farm somehow. 1% to 2%. Now, I'd like to think that those numbers are growing. Uh, certainly, you know, hearing from you and and the the many varied stories that you have uh about your experiences in raising your own food, whether it 's vegetables or chickens or rabbits or more, this is something that a lot of Americans are interested in, but you need to go in with your eyes open so we 're going to talk about that we 're also going to talk about uh, of course some uh reading material and it 's interesting. We're getting to the 150th anniversary of the surrender at Appomattox, which uh, is not far from the Farmville studios of, of, of NRA News Cam and Company. And, in fact, in Farmville itself, uh, over the past weekend and the, uh, the the Easter weekend, there's going to be reenactors, there's going to be all kinds of, uh, uh, I don't want to say festivities, but um, uh, different ceremonies and, and different uh, activities taking place uh, to commemorate the Battle of Highbridge, which happened just outside of Farmville. Farmville itself, about 150 years ago, as Robert E. Lee was uh, fleeing from Petersburg, Virginia, uh, west into the uh, mountains. The goal was to get to uh, the, the, the uh, Danville Railroad and then go down to North Carolina and hook up with the uh, uh, Confederate Army that was still in the field there their route uh took them due west from from Petersburg and and both armies actually passed through Farmville Virginia uh Lee's army first and then about a day behind uh Ulysses S Grant's army uh came marching through Farmville as well and and again the uh uh the two armies met and uh, caught up to each other at Appomattox Courthouse where uh, Lee tried to make uh, one final breakthrough couldn't do it. His army was starving, literally starving. Uh, in in one case, three hundred thousand rations were uh, sent to the Amelia courthouse. Um, never made it. Uh, another group of rations uh, was intercepted by the Union army. So I mean, th- these were uh, uh, men who were just absolutely at the at the end of their endurance. Uh, as they passed through Farmville as they made their way to Appomattox I, I read about this in a new book by joseph Whelan called their full uh, excuse me their last full measure the Final days of the Civil war it it it's basically uh a the story of the Civil War from January of eighteen sixty five up through uh May of eighteen sixty five so we 'll talk a little bit about it because i i, I was I was struck by, towards the end of the book, I was obviously interested, of course, in what um, was written about around Farmville and around Appomattox and the places that I know. Uh, And it's really interesting to see that history, you know, sort of come to life in this book. But I was really interested in reading Abraham Lincoln's uh, words and thoughts on what to do after the war was over. Because... To heal a, a nation uh, that has been re, you know just torn apart by by civil war to to reconcile and to say moving forward we are one country again how do you how do you do that and we live in a day and age now in which we are uh, at each other's throats right we we live in a very punitive uh, political system we're always looking for for somebody to go after and and take down and that sense of retribution that that desire for retribution uh was certainly present in the north and after the civil war it uh, certainly was present in the south as well but but lincoln had a a a very different mindset and a very different point of view and it was interesting the other book that i read this week that we'll talk about is a brand new book by john ronson uh called so you've been publicly shamed and it, it it struck me that, you know, look, we are not engaged in anything close to what the civil war was to this country. We are not literally at each other's throats politically. We have not seen a country uh, literally ripped apart uh, at its seams and sides chosen. But. Most of us, I think, understand that what we see this, this this political reality that particularly plays out online, it is not healthy. It is not good for our republic. It is not particularly good for ourselves, uh, and it is a, a a a sea of people who are crying out for retribution and for punishment, which is what this public shaming uh, ultimately is all about. So to to, to read this. Uh, both of these books sort of uh, in, in a pairing this week it was really, really interesting. A, I, I can't imagine what the Civil War would have been like if they had uh, Twitter and social media. Uh, B, well, I'll tell you what, I'll leave B for when we actually talk about the books. We're also going to get to uh, some of your comments, your emails, and the email to do it if you would like to uh, talk about your farm, your garden, your experiences, anything that we talk about on the program. It is 40acrefool at gmail.com four zero acre fool at gmail.com stick around when we come back we're going to talk about this bizarre story out of new york state and it's not just the uh, empire state of mind going on here there are real risks to trying to uh, farm your own land stick around we'll be right back with more 40 acres and a fool this is 40 acres and a fool with cam
0: edwards on the blaze radio network The Jeff Fisher Show.
1: A brothel is advertising quality control testers. Check the standards of their services. According to the advertisement, the job is an international company with more than 120 workers. Germany, China, Spain. Now, now you're doing some traveling. Nice, practical experience with many years of brothel visits necessary. Why am I not hired for this job? Why is this job even advertised?
0: The Jeff Fisher Show. Saturday morning, 6 to 8 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Thanks for streaming, downloading, however it is that you're accessing 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. I'm Cam Edwards. And this story out of New York State involving a farmer named Joshua Rockwood. It is bananas. Uh, WAMC, Northeast Public Radio. I should probably... Talk about the story in a voice like this if I'm signing WAMC. They say a Schenectady County farmer has raised more than $50,000 to assist with legal costs as he faces multiple charges of animal endangerment. I'm sorry, I can't read it like that. Joshua Rockwood. He owns West Wind Acres Farm in Glenville, New York. He is a relatively new farmer. His story, frankly, is much like mine, and I am terrified at what is going on, and I am angry at what is going on with Joshua Rockwood. He was arrested. He was charged earlier this month with uh, 13 counts of misdemeanor animal endangerment. Police got a search warrant for his property. Uh, They say they observed animals left out in the cold. They say that uh, these animals' water supplies were frozen. Some of the uh, animals there on Rockwood Farm have been confiscated. John Katz is a a writer from Cambridge, New York, and he's uh, written several pieces about what's going on with Joshua Rockwood at the uh, website BedlamFarm.com, WAMC quotes Mr. Katz as saying, so farms are kind of messy, dirty, stinky places. They're not like Vermont postcards. And his, Joshua Rockwood's, his looked like every other farm. It'd certainly be great if he had the money for a stronger infrastructure, but he didn't. And I think half the farmers in the Northeast have their water pipes freeze. That's what every one of them told me, is it could have been me. They could have arrested me. At John Katz's website, bedlamfarm.com, he provides a a little more background about Joshua Rockwood. He's committed to the local food movement, sells pasture-fed beef, pork, chicken, and lamb. He was reported to authorities, uh, Katz says, by a secret informer Visited several times by the police, an animal control officer, and a worker for the Humane Society. Three of his horses, one dog, were taken from him. He was charged with 13 counts of animal abuse, cruelty, and neglect. He was accused of having frozen water tanks, inadequate shelter for his pigs, overgrown hooves for his pony, and of keeping animals in an unheated barn. An unheated barn. As Cat says, the persecution of Joshua Rockwood is Orwellian. He says, in our culture, people accused of animal abuse are shunned and disgraced. They're removed from the community of moral people. They are denied the right to acquire and own animals. They are listed on registries posted in public. Police invade their homes. They seize their property. They are denounced publicly before trial or hearing. They become a non-person. Joshua Rockwood, Tony Katz writes, or John Katz writes, shout out to our friend Tony Katz. Uh, this is the fate Joshua Rockwood is quite determined to avoid. And Katz says the real problem here and in a lot of other cases around the country is that Joshua Rockwood is almost certainly not guilty of animal abuse as it is known and has always been defined. The charges against him have, could have, and can be lodged against almost any real farmer in the country in the middle of winter and against almost anybody who owns a dog or a cat. If you have visited a uh, a small farm before, um, you will know that what uh, John Katz writes about is absolutely correct uh our pigs uh, for instance this year were in a pallet shelter that that we built now again wild pigs uh they 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 live off the land right they don't move into heated barns in the uh, winter uh the hogs that we have american guinea hogs uh for the most part get a lot hairier a lot furrier they're furry little hogs to begin with but they get a lot furrier uh, in the uh, in the fall and into the winter, uh, same with same with our goats. Uh, Lola the lamb, of course, she's you know a, a cated in sheep. She's she's fluffy and puffy all the time. Uh, now it's true we worry about our our chickens, for instance, uh, in the winter, especially frostbite on on combs. You can find the advice of smearing Vaseline on the combs of your roosters in particular because they have a bigger comb and that Vaseline will, will protect their comb from frostbite. But it means you have to catch your rooster and uh, 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 act, make him acquiesce to having his head smeared with Vaseline. I've not been able to actually achieve that. So uh, good luck to you if, if, if you can do that. Winter is a challenge for farmers. It's a challenge for farmers because we don't want to treat our animals cruelly. And by the way, I, I hate saying our because I don't consider myself to be a, a farmer. I'm a guy who's trying to raise animals and a, a big garden. But, but this could be me. Uh, it could be you. It could be any other small farmer out there. John Katz notes that the day these uh, authorities came out to Joshua Rockwood's farm. Uh, February 27th, one of the same days he was raided by the police and charged with having frozen water tanks. These sewer pipes in the Glenville Municipal Building froze, and the toilets backed up and were unusable. But nobody was arrested. Our water pipe froze. Um, we have one outside water pipe, and it froze this winter. It got really cold. Uh, not as cold as it did in New York, but it got pretty cold for central Virginia. What we would do multiple times a day uh, in order to make sure that our animals had water, we would fill up 40-gallon bar- uh, 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 pails, basically, two of them at a time, and we would walk the water uh, over to the animals. And you do this uh, at least once for the pigs. Um, uh, you may have to make another trip may have to uh, do do a third uh 40 gallon bucket. Uh you'd walk the uh, at least uh two buckets over to the goats. Usually that was four. And we have a cart uh that we would, you know, put the uh the the uh buckets in if we uh, had to walk down to the goats cuz that's a little bit farther than than where our pigs are. But we do this multiple times a day. That's that's just what you do. Uh you do it multiple times a day. You make sure that that your animals have water but you know when you go out there in the highest 22 uh, you're going out there on a on a pretty regular basis and you are knocking ice off uh, the the top sometimes in the morning it's frozen solid because it's below freezing and and that is a farm fact of life it, it's not animal cruelty it's mother nature again these are challenges for farmers, uh, particularly in the winter, there are you know there are challenges uh, every time of year, but 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 these are some of the challenges of farmers in the winter. It doesn't mean that they are uh, neglecting their animals. It doesn't mean that they are uh, cruel to their animals. If you uh, go to bedlamfarm you can uh, take a look at uh, Joshua Rockwood and some of the pig structures that he's built for his pasture raised pigs. Who uh, look pretty big and healthy, I, I gotta say. And the you've got you've got one structure that sort of looks like a pig-sized Quonset hut. You've got a, a couple of other structures that look like uh, the equivalent of a, uh, a, a, a chicken coop for pigs. Uh, you know, a, an entryway in the door, but a, a wind block, and it's a it's a structure. It's got a roof. It's got sides. It's a pretty good-looking pig house, I gotta say. John Katz, at his Bedlam Farm blog, writes, there is a sense of unreality and very selective morality about real abuse. Abused animals bleed, starve, and die. He writes, corporate farmers who house their animals in unimaginably horrific conditions, who abuse them in every moral and social sense of the term, go unpunished, while farmers... Carriage drivers, pony ride operators, circus owners, and sled dog mushers are considered criminals and are harassed and persecuted. Abuse, he writes, has ironically become a blinding obstacle, a distraction that keeps us from figuring out how to keep animals among us. We ban them from their lives and work, and we look away as they fade from the earth and are never seen again. Stopping abuse is not the same thing as saving animals and keeping them in our world. we've sort of touched on this idea. I think in a a previous episode of 40 acres and a fool, the, uh, and I've gotten into arguments with animal rights activists who, who say that it's cruel for me to, uh, raise hogs and eat them, uh, that it's cruel for me to, uh, slaughter a couple of our chickens and eat them. Uh, Instead, I I, I ask them uh, what would happen if, if, if everybody, you know, decided tomorrow to stop eating meat. What would happen to these animals? And I've never actually gotten a real answer about what would happen to the animals. The answer really is all of these animals would be slaughtered for nothing because nobody is going to keep 40 head of cattle if you can't eat it. Nobody is going to raise heritage hogs if you can't turn them into bacon at the uh, end of the day. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I shouldn't say nobody. I'm sure you will find some um, incredibly rich folks who will uh, uh, make a habit out of, well, I was going to say put them in a, a private zoo. Look, we used to eat these these little things called hogs. Uh, but zoos, of course, would be banned as well, even for the uh, 1% or the of the 1%. So there's going to be a mass slaughter of animals if the uh, animal rights activists ever get their way, ironically enough. Beyond that, though, uh, you were saying that it is, in essence, better for these creatures to never exist than it is for Joshua Rockwood's hogs, for instance, uh, to enjoy a life... In a sunny pasture. Yep, sometimes it's cold. Sometimes it's rainy. But sometimes it's a beautiful spring day. And there's fresh grass to eat. And that pig, that hog at that moment, is among the 1% of the 1% of all the hogs in this country. In terms of living a happy, healthy, hoggy life. That's not cruelty. I don't, I've never met Joshua Rockwood. I have no idea what his politics are. I have no idea uh, how he how feels about the Second Amendment. I, I, and I don't need to. The, the small farmers that I've met, the, the, and, and, you know whether it's a, a hobby farm, whether they are uh, trying to do it and they're at the farmer's markets and they are working 80 hours a week and this is their job, the small farmers that I have met love animals love them and in fact are so much more connected to these creatures uh, than most people are with, I would say even their, uh, their, their pet. It, it strikes me as just absurd uh, to say that uh, uh, raising animals on a small farm, which is in essence, what this charge is uh, raising animals on a small family farm, where not every tour is going to be uh, able to be done right away. The argument seems to be that that itself is animal cruelty. John Katz at uh, Bedlam Farm, and again, I'd encourage you to read his writings on this case. He says Joshua Rockwood is not an unperson. He's not a grainy photograph on the evening news. He's a human being fighting for his existence because the people in charge of the welfare of animals no longer have any idea what animals or farms are like. Nobody, he writes, is lobbying to pass any laws protecting Joshua Rockwood and his rights or helping him get through the worst cold wave in decades. The one thing I would disagree with uh, just uh, with with, with uh, John Katz about is that there are people who are working to pass laws protecting Joshua Rockwood and his rights. Uh, in fact, in Virginia, we've had the Bonita bill named after Martha Benita, which is, uh, in essence, freedom to farm legislation. And we've had two versions of this uh, passed in the last two years in the state of Virginia. I will acknowledge with John Katz that there, there there is no NRA, uh for the small family farmer. There's no National Rifle Association. Uh many of them are NRA members, but but there there is there's the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund or Farm and Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Uh, there are a couple of smaller groups that are are doing good work with what they have. But it is actually I, I think uh, an issue that a lot of these small farmers, and I think it's part think part of the problem is that when you are a small farmer, when you are a Joshua Rockwood, you don't have time for activism. You don't have time for uh, uh, raising money for legal defense funds. You don't have time uh, to do a lot of networking with your other uh, small independent farmers to 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 try to you know establish the NRA of the small family farm. You don't have time for it until all of a sudden the not comes to your door and your animals are taken away. I don't know that, um, again, there's an easy way to change that. But the good news in this story, uh, and there is good news in this story about Joshua Rockwood, is that a lot of folks in his community, a lot of folks in the uh, farming communities, uh, have, have taken interest in... Joshua's case. There's a uh, GoFundMe page, uh, the Westwind Acres Legal Defense Fund. In the past two weeks, uh, Joshua Rockwood has been able to raise over $53,000 for his legal defense fund. He says, I realize the Reports have been vague about what happened in court yesterday. This was uh, uh, back in the uh, end of March. He says, "So let me help clear that up. The short answer is all the charges still stand. There are some amendments to correct various parts, but that's all that happened. The next court date is coming up this month in April. He says, the truth is there's not been an opportunity for discovery, and until that happens, it will not be clear why all this happened in the first place. As we get closer to the next hearing, a friend of West Wind Acres is planning a rally dinner. He says, I know words cannot describe my deepest thanks For the incredible outpouring of love and help during these last few weeks, it has renewed my already strong admiration of the human race. Hmm. How about that? After all that Joshua Rockwood is going through, uh, he too is recognizing, you know what, we're always going to have jerks in the world. We're always going to be dealing with people who want to take our freedom and our liberty away. But, those those friends that we have, those allies that we have, we are not alone uh, in these fights. And Joshua Rockwood has learned that lesson on uh, his small farm over the past month. When we come back here on Forty Acres and a Fool, we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about shame. We'll uh, discuss John Ronson's new book. So you've been publicly shamed. We'll also talk about the uh, new history uh, book, out, their last full measure, the final days of the Civil War and the need for reconciliation after conflict. Stick around. There's more 40 Acres and a Fool coming up after this.
0: This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. They don't want tolerance. They want the imposition of their beliefs on everyone else. They don't want to live and let live. They don't want to have, can't we all just get along? They want
1: you to bend the knee and do as they say in your private life, in your public life, with everything. So, in a sense, as horrific as it is that this family has to go through this, at least we know the truth about this debate now.
0: Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 30 Acres and a fool with cam Edwards returns now on the blaze radio network
1: so you may wonder where I find the time to actually read these books. I kind of wonder that myself. Uh, it does help that i 'm a fast reader retention long term retention uh, is another story short term retention i 'm pretty good at, but uh, if you asked me to you know give you uh, dates of uh, something that I I read about uh, two months ago. You know, if I was reading a book about the French Revolution, all right. Well, when uh, when did the the uh, terror actually begin? I could give you the the chronology of events, but I couldn't necessarily give you an exact date. That's the uh, that's the curse. The blessing is that I do get to read, uh, despite a a very busy schedule. And and this week. Uh, it also helps too that you know i i i read for work if i'm interviewing an author i want to make sure unlike most hosts i want to make sure that i've at least read some of the book and i like to have read the entire book um so i finished this week their last full measure the final days of the civil war by joseph whelan it is uh, as i said it's a book about the last 5 months or so of the Civil War. And it's it's interesting because, you know, most of our views of history are very, very cursory. I don't think we do a very good job of teaching history in our schools because we we, we expect kids to memorize the dates and maybe even uh, too many names instead of telling the stories that draw uh, students in, uh, that, that draw people in. And and when you can tell the story, then people get interested in the characters, right? So So they want to know more about... Ulysses S. Grant. They want to know more about Phil Sheridan. Uh, they want to know about Robert E. Lee. They want to know about uh, uh, P.T. Beauregard. They they want to know about these these uh, Lincoln and Davis uh, and and these these men uh, and uh, a, a lot of women, uh, including the uh, Dyer's Mary Chestnut, are are really brought to life in this book uh, by Joseph Whelan. There's this there's this aura of uh, despair on the side of the South and, 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 and cautious jubilation, uh, and a lot of anger and recriminations on the side of the North that is, is present throughout this entire book. And it was interesting because Lincoln was a, a very steadying force, or at least he, he wanted to be a steadying force when it came time, uh, for the, uh, the end of hostilities. He gave a speech just a couple of days before he was assassinated, in which he talked about uh, plans to bring Louisiana back into the union. They uh, uh, they had a new constitution that did not allow free blacks to vote, and there was uh, a great deal of opposition to Louisiana being able to enter the union until their constitution had been changed to allow that. Their constitution empowered the legislature uh, to to change the voting laws to allow blacks to vote, but free blacks could not vote in Louisiana under the basis of this Constitution. Unlike the radical Republicans in Congress uh, who said, hold out, don't let them join the union, don't let any other state join the union unless we know that things have changed, unless we know that this has uh, been a war in which all of these sacrifices have actually meant something. Leave them out. Lincoln said, let them in. He said, uh, quoting from their last full measure, 12,000 Louisiana voters, he said, had sworn allegiance to the Union. They had cast ballots in elections. They had organized a state government. They had adopted a constitution. They had opened public schools to both blacks and whites. And they had empowered their legislature to allow blacks to vote. He said the Louisiana legislature had ratified the U.S. Constitutional Amendment abolishing slavery the president said his cabinet had welcomed louisiana's plan to form a new government and to write a new constitution and it had been met or it had met no objections in congress quote until the people of louisiana had begun to move in accordance with it congress had then lincoln said rejected the plan lincoln in turn had pocket vetoed congress's alternative plan early in 1865 uh, author joseph whelan writes congress had refused to seat louisiana's congressional represent- uh, representatives Radical Republicans demanded that Louisiana blacks first be permitted to vote. Except Louisiana's new state government, Lincoln exhorted. He said, quote, if we reject and spurn them, we do our utmost to disorganize and disperse them. We would, in effect, say to the white men, you are worthless. Or worse, we will neither help you nor be helped by you. To the blacks, we say, this cup of liberty which these, your old masters, hold to your lips, we will dash from you. In conclusion, Lincoln said, I repeat the question. Can Louisiana be brought into proper practical relation with the union sooner by sustaining or discarding her new state government? What has been said of Louisiana will apply to other states. Uh, but, Whelan points out, uh, Lincoln also added, no exclusive and inflexible plan can be prescribed as to details and collaterals for all states and he also suggested that he uh, would soon, quote, make some new announcement to the people of the South. He did not. But shortly before his assassination, Lincoln met with his cabinet. Whelan writes about it. Grant was there uh, for the first time in a cabinet meeting. And they did talk about Reconstruction. Lincoln said that every southern state presented its own unique set of problems That had to be addressed separately. He also, uh, again, reiterated his support for Louisiana's Constitution, although he said that he was disappointed that uh, black suffrage was not a part of the state constitution. Uh, Lincoln said as well that he, uh, when it came to the Confederates' leaders, uh, quote, Frighten them out of the country. Open the gates. Let down the bars. Scare them off. Enough lives have been sacrificed. We must extinguish our resentments. If we expect harmony and reunion. That was uh, Lincoln's mindset. Of course, that's not exactly what happened uh, in U.S. history, but that's probably a whole other podcast there. But it was the attitude that Lincoln displayed in those final days that has really just stuck with me this week. As, as, again, I read this other book by uh, John Ronson, just came out on Tuesday, uh called so you've been publicly shamed. You know, Lincoln understood the the war itself was going to be over. Uh but what was the new union going to look like? Could it be a union again? Or would uh the same parties that that drove the country to disunion uh keep going at it? Keep keep going at each other? Uh, keep keep making uh, uh, a common cause for for fighting as opposed to again reuniting as a country. Uh, he realized that that was a real danger and 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 perhaps in some sense an inevitability. The, the The concern was that you didn't want those folks. Look, we had in the aftermath of the Civil War, particularly in the border states, there there were there were issues, there were problems, there were grudges that were settled. This is where the Hatfields and McCoys. Uh, first sprung to life but but could that be contained, or would that spread would that uh, in infect politics would that uh you know be a, a a new flashpoint or a continued flashpoint for violent deadly conflict? This country had just gone through a war was wrapping up a war in which over 600,000 Americans had lost their lives. You had countless more injuries while the war was fought largely in the South. And so physically, the the North uh, was spared of the the worst of the horrors of war. If you were a united country, uh, then that meant that the country was not going to be spared uh, in the aftermath of rebuilding. But you had, again, those in Congress who, uh, and and, and in the military who... um, had the attitude of no salt the earth and uh, maybe we could just move people out of uh, the South the South should be an empty quarter a desolate place uh, they should learn their lesson for uh, rebellion again Lincoln thought that the uh, the more moderate course would be better for the nation as a whole and I think looking back 150 years uh, most of us would agree that to continue these tensions, to, uh, to continue the punishment uh, after a civil war was over, would only lead to more resentments and uh, perhaps a uh, another outbreak of violence further down the road. You know, we live right now not in a state of open civil war, but uh, sustained verbal hostilities politically. And I was thinking about this. It was one of the reasons actually why I picked up John Ronson's book, uh, so you've been publicly shamed. The other is because he's a really fantastic writer. Uh, he, he is a uh, he's he's a Brit. He's of the left, um, but he's 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 got a, a reporter's natural curiosity that takes him to some uh, strange and unusual places. And uh, the idea of writing about being publicly shamed or this 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 public shaming actually and this culture of public shaming uh he does a very good job it it I, I honestly i think the book could be a little bit longer one of the things that he does not explore and does not get into is the outrage machine uh he does explore uh and, and discuss um things like you know rebuilding your 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 online profile johnson talks to the uh head of uh, reputation.com for instance but he doesn't talk about the other side of this the you know the, yes there are people who uh, get paid and who make money uh, pushing these you know awful Google results off of the front page, but there are also people who get paid and who make money, uh, not just who derive you know joy out of uh, uh, tearing other people apart, but who actually make money uh, doing this as well, feeding the outrage beast. And I, I wish that Ronson would have explored that uh, a little bit more because you know he gets into the the psychology of the crowd uh and and also the psychology of the anonymity uh, that that the online environment provides uh and and maybe uh those things you know play a role in this uh, a type of you know mob attacks that uh, that we see but there's there's clearly more to it than that uh and I think Ronson explores about 75 or 80% of the story that should be told. It's a great book. It's really interesting. I just um, know that there are some parts that have been left out. (laughs) Oh, by the way, uh, this week, too, we saw another Media Matters hit piece, even worse, I shouldn't say worse, even sillier uh, than the last piece that they wrote, which is about the, uh, the, the documentary that I worked on in my bio, at uh, nranews.com this week they uh, took a a segment of me responding to an editorial from the North Carolina Daily Tar Heel which is the student newspaper at UNC and the editorial uh, used the phrase uh, would further uh, the, the argument was that if we allowed campus carry then that would further burden the victim uh, with their own defense, with defending themselves as opposed to uh, I guess, uh, the burden being on people not committing violent crimes in the first place. That's where the burden should be. But the word burden was used in this editorial. So that was the word that I used when I was responding to this editorial. So Media Matters writes this piece, and they keep using the word burden, and they keep putting it in quotes like Cam Edwards says, "It's a, the burden is on the victims to defend themselves from rape, uh, implying that it was you know victim-blaming, saying that uh, if you get raped, it's your fault, which is ridiculous. What I said was that you are responsible for your own safety. That the burden of protecting yourself is ultimately on you. That if you are the victim of a violent crime, in that moment, there's no encounter group, there's no uh, freshman seminar, there's uh, nothing that can be done to teach the person who is assaulting you, who is carjacking you, uh, who is invading your home. There's nothing that can be done in that moment to teach that individual not to do what they're doing. But you have the responsibility to yourself, to those you love, to those who love you, uh, to be able to protect yourself, and again, this is this is general advice, right? I was struck. Uh, so, so, media writers writes this piece, and uh, all of a sudden, my uh, my Twitter feed blows up, and it was all of these. Uh, again, uh, I got a lot of "teach men not to rape" comments. I, you know, look, I I think that we do try as a society to teach people not to. Break the laws, not to hurt other people, to treat others with respect, do unto others, right? I mean, I, I think that we still try to, uh, to, to preach the golden rule and to teach the golden rule. I say we, uh, I'm sure there are some who would like to ban, uh, any expression of the golden rule in our society. It's gotta be, you know, patriarchal or something. But for the most part, I think that we do this. But, 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 but even taking that argument at face value, Look, we have driver's ed in this country, right? But we also teach our kids to look both ways before crossing the street. We—I don't know how one is mutually exclusive to the other. That we say, well, we need to educate people uh, to to not sexually assault others. That doesn't preclude teaching people to protect and defend themselves against people who are attacking them, right? Well, as my friend Laura Carno from I Am Created Equal likes to say, don't you dare tell me how to protect myself. As for the outrage machine, John Ronson doesn't provide uh, any real advice on how to make it stop. And that's okay, because I don't know, <laughs> not like I have any good ideas. Uh, I think it, it will probably continue. I think it will likely get a lot worse, uh, frankly. Before it gets better, but the the I think if I had any advice, and again, it's not advice that's going to sell books or uh, inspire uh, T-shirts or anything like that, because it's not a bumper sticker slogan. But, but the idea, if if you want things to change, if you're not happy with the uh, the current level of vitriol, if you are concerned with the fact that the people who Five years ago, we're, we're talking about the need for people to be free in this country to uh, to descend and to express their uh, their true desires. Now they're saying, "No, shut everybody up." We uh, free speech is hate speech, and uh, religious liberty is bigotry, and the right to keep our arms is violence. Uh, you know, if this concerns you, the answer is not to uh, scream as loudly at them as they are at you. That's what they want. Because then they can say, oh, look how angry they are. They're so extreme. And meanwhile, you're so frustrated. Why don't you ever talk about how angry you guys are? Well, they're not going to. They're not going to. But that's okay. Because they don't actually represent a lot of people. You're not actually trying to change their point of view. It would be great if you did, but that's not your goal. Your goal is to talk to the people uh, or or to make an impression on the, uh, the, the, the folks who haven't made up their mind. Uh, the folks in the middle, the folks who also don't like, by the way, being yelled at and screamed at and being told that they're bigots and hateful and any other uh, uh, insult that gets thrown out there these days. Let the other side be loud. Let, let's be right. And uh, and the reasonable ones, quite frankly. Um, I, I think if, if, if we are the adults in the room, then uh, that's good for our side. It's good for our cause. Uh, I sometimes describe it as being a a good ambassador for your rights. But basically, let them be the ones uh, who are unhinged. Let's try to behave the way we want our leaders to behave. Maybe they'll learn from us. When we come back here on 40 Acres and a Fool, I'm going to learn something from you via email. Again, the email address is 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40 acrefool at gmail.com, You can follow me on Instagram at Cam Edwards, on Twitter at Cam Edwards, on Facebook, Cam Edwards 2A. And we will be back with more 40 Acres and a Fool right after this.
0: 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. You, you, you listening around, you who are struggling. You who are in the middle of the storm of adversity. Just like a farmer's hands are calloused and the soldier's muscles are strong, you will be ready to face the next hardship and, and better able to prepare a friend for theirs. And isn't that, in the end, a great gift? Mike Slater. Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Well, we've got one more edition of 40 Acres and a Fool before I head off to Nashville, Tennessee and the NRA annual meetings, which are going to take place April 10th, 11th, and 12th. I am going to be uh, talking to a lot of small farmers while I'm there, hopefully be able to uh, bring this microphone along as well and maybe share some stories from uh, Nashville and the NRA annual meeting. And I hope I get to see you there as well if, if you have not made your Plans to travel to Nashville, Tennessee in the NRA annual meeting. It is going to be crazy. It is going to be so much fun. Over 70,000 of your fellow NRA members, and there's going to be so much to see, so much to do. There's live country music going on all weekend long. You got the big Alan Jackson, Jeff Foxworthy concert on Saturday night, the NRA Foundation Banquet. Oh man, the NRA ILA Celebration of American Values Leadership Forum. I, I could, I could really go on and on for another hour just talking about all of the events taking place at the NRA annual meeting but my favorite part of the annual meeting each and every year it's not seeing the new guns it's not uh, uh, the the, uh, the the great lineup of speakers or entertainers it's getting to meet my fellow NRA members that is hands down the coolest part of each and every annual meeting that I go to and i'm really really excited so i had to drop that in here um now i do want to get to uh, a, an email from a, a listener albert uh, wrote in and said uh First of all, I just wanted to say I started listening to your podcast today, and it's great. Thank you uh, for that, Albert. I appreciate that. My wife and I have a small property, Albert says, three-quarters of an acre. (laughs) Albert's email, by the way, was three-quarters of an acre and insane. (laughs) Albert says, we are raising mostly all our own food. Now, Albert uh, also grew up, he says, raising a garden, which led to his profession of landscape design. So Albert is no fool. Uh, when it comes to doing this, Albert, it, it sounds like I need to be learning a lot from you. And I got to say, I'm 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 really really pleased that uh, you actually enjoy this podcast. Uh, hopefully, uh, you can laugh at uh, at my learning curve. And 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 again, I'm sure you've got some stories of your own. Now, it is no laughing matter. Albert says uh, after Obamacare, my wife and I lost our health care because we're both self-employed. We had to choose who was going back to work for the man. Albert says I ended up working for a company which I can't stand. Albert says, every day after work, I find my serenity gardening, raising chicken for both eggs and meat, raising fish, brewing beer and wine, just to name a few. Our goal is to become as self-dependent as possible. Our two-year plan to move to a larger property to take our small-scale farming to a larger scale. And Albert says, I hope your podcast, 40 Acres and a Fool, is long and successful and look forward to upcoming programs. Albert, thank you so much for writing in. I got to say, dude, you are the man. You're not. You're not working for the man. You are the man. You got three quarters of an acre. You're raising chickens. You're gardening. You're raising fish. You're raising fish, Albert. You're aqua farming on three quarters of an acre. That is awesome. Oh, and you're brewing beer and wine. I I, I just want to know when I get the invite to uh, come hang out on your three quarters of an acre. That is <laughs> that is so cool, Albert. I gotta say I am really really impressed. And again, it goes to show you that you really can do a lot uh, without. A lot of land. You know, we have 40 acres. Uh, some of that is for hunting. I want a place where I can shoot uh, safely and, and responsibly. But, you know, there's a, a, we've got probably 10 acres or so that is just a, a big pasture. Uh, it's unfenced. It had just sort of gone to seed and we weren't using it. We were paying to have it bush hogged uh, or brush hogged every, uh, twice every summer. But that was all that was being done with it. So I talked to our neighbor uh, who had said that he had had trouble finding enough fodder for his cattle this last winter. And I said, look, we're not doing anything with this field. If if you want to plant it uh, so that you've got hay or oats for uh, your cattle this winter, go for it. We're not using it. And I'd rather it get used than just sit there. Uh, and go to waste, and so he he said, "Okay thanks uh and that's what we're doing with with the uh, the field this year i'm really excited about it actually uh it's going to be great to look out on that field and and know that that it's actually being used for something uh as opposed to just being part of the scenery you know i don't I don't want look i i, I I'm really glad that I live in a place with pretty views and i've got a Little stream and you know copses of woods and trees and rolling hills. Look, it's fantastic. I, I I love that, but but I didn't I didn't move to a view. I moved to a farm, and I want it to be a productive farm. You know, again we go back to uh, the case of Joshua Rockwood, where we began this podcast, and without having talked with Joshua, I don't know, but I'm guessing that that, that Joshua didn't want to move to a view that Joshua wanted to work his land and to use his land and to to push himself uh, to the best that he could, that he wanted to either maintain that connection with the land in a, a rural way of life, an agricultural way of life, or he wanted to establish that connection with himself. And in order to do that, Again, you don't need a lot of space, uh, but you do need the freedom to farm. So, Albert, whether it's on three-quarters of an acre or 300 acres, I wish you, sir, the very, very best. I want to follow along with your progress, and I would love to hear more from uh, from you. I want to know about aqua farming. How intensive is this? On three-quarters of an acre, do you have a natural pond, for instance, uh, or, or do you have an artificial pond? What, what, what type of fish are you raising there? I, I like eating fish. See, so I'm, I'm very curious about this. But we don't have uh, a pond on our property. We have a, a small creek on our property that uh, does contain a lot of bullfrogs and crawdads and some little minnows. But, uh, but, but it would not be suitable for aquafarming. So, if you don't mind a follow up email, Albert, I want to know more. About what you're doing, because I'm really impressed by it. And I'd love to hear from you as well. Again, I, I do love hearing your stories. Uh, whether this is, you know, you, you've got your garden in the backyard, whether you've got a uh, 10,000 acre horse ranch, there are so many Americans across this country who are, again, finding that connection. And it's a, it's a connection with our past. It's a connection to something, I think, fundamental within uh, our our human nature uh, to want to be able to provide for ourselves. And going to the grocery store doesn't really cut it uh, for a lot of people. I mean, it's convenient, yeah, it's great, but it's also somewhat mindless. There are, again, so many Americans who want to live a mindful life Which, by the way, is sort of the opposite of the, the scolding lifestyle, right? Uh, where, where people with beams in their eyes, uh, talk about the, the moats in yours, right? Um, the mindful life says, I got enough to worry about with me. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't want to tell anybody how to live. I don't want to try to tell anybody how to live because I'm trying to figure out, uh, my best way of living. I'm interested in exploring my life and trying to make me better. And it's not selfishness uh, that says, "Go live your life, while while I try to live mine." It's actually, again, that 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 spirit of of liberty, that spirit of freedom, that spirit of 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 curiosity, uh, not an inquisition, by the way, but uh, but 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 inquisitiveness. You know, Albert, I'm not going to try to tell you how to live your life, but I want to learn from you, and I want to learn from your experiences, as opposed to the the scolds who uh, who just want to tell you what to do. Trust us, we're the experts, right? Huh? Actually, I, I realize. I guess I do sometimes tell you what to do when it's when it's time for the podcast to end. I say, live a little, learn a lot, be safe, have fun. That's not really an order or a uh, a command. Just so you know, I'm I'm not I'm not telling you to do that. I'm I'm just suggesting it as a guideline. It is about that time, however, to uh, say that phrase once again. So thank you once more for tuning into this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. Please send me your stories, your thoughts, your questions, your complaints. 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Make sure you're following us as well uh, on NRAnews.com each and every weekday for the latest Second Amendment news and information. It's NRA News Cam and Company. Also on demand at iHeartRadio and on iTunes. And weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern each and every day on Sportsman Channel. All right. Until we meet again, live a little, learn a lot, be safe, have fun, and we'll talk to you soon on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool.
0: This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.